Synthaholics. Welcome to Synthaholics. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. Today we are talking about Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery and a whole overview. We have myself, Aaron O'Brien, and David Duncan. What's up, Dave? Hey, how's it going? And we also have very special guests. We have Stuart Foley from Trek Yards. What's up, Stuart? Hey, guys. How's it going? It's great to be here. Yeah, Again. it's our yearly tradition to have you. Uh, usually, we have you and Samuel on, but just our our time things have been really wonky lately. So, I know we usually have to record earlier in the day when we get Samuel on. But hey, Samuel, if you're listening. <laughs> so, Stuart, we got uh, we've got uh, season three. I know you guys have been ex- extensively covering it on your channel and breaking down all the little nuances from you know the starships to uniforms to all sorts of aspects. And even breaking down the shows itself. Um, uh, just quickly, I mean, what do you think? Is season three, does it pass the smell test? Uh, yeah, it definitely stands up as far as um, Discovery goes. I mean, it's the best season out of the three so far. They've kind of got their shit together, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, the writing's definitely improved. So overall, we enjoyed this one a lot more than the last two seasons for sure. Yeah. I would agree on a lot of that. Um, yeah. There's this, this I think, I, and we've been seeing, saying this since we've been covering all the episodes, the most visually arresting uh, probably series, period. You know, just beautiful, well done. And acting, phenomenal acting. Um, stories, this, this season story I think is better, but um, there's some holes and there's some issues, but I mean. They still can't stop covering that ball with lube, though. The ball with the lube? What are we talking about? <laughs> the they ball they keep dropping. The ball oh. they can't ever hang on to the ball. They, they just they, Yeah, they, no, yeah, you're talking about the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I if agree. they deflated it a little bit, it'd be easier. Deflate gate. Hashtag deflate yes. gate. Star Trek deflate gate. Um <laughs> Yeah, I I you know, I enjoyed this uh probably better than most uh, most uh the seasons. This is like you said, Stuart's probably one of the better seasons. Um I think they can't keep a, a plot from meandering and going in weird places just for reasons. I, it's so. it's weird because the first two seasons there was definitely big writer room shakeups that we heard about. I don't remember ever reading any about that for season three. But either way, they can't tell a cohesive story from beginning to to end. They kind of like they do meander so much, and I just like why? Yeah. And then they try to do well, too much. Yeah, that being said, I mean, this was the first season that they planned beginning to end. And I think that's very evident in the writing overall. Um, I do see what you mean by me- uh, meandering a little bit, but, you know, we'll, we'll probably talk about that along the, the course of this discussion. Uh, there's a few things I think that they wanted to carry over to season four deliberately. Mm-hmm. So I really yeah. wish Orissa was one of them. Osira. 
Osira. Yeah. Osira, yeah. Yeah, I really wish she was one of them. I, I, I kind of feel like they did too much in too little time. I Her decisions just came out of nowhere. Um, I really wish yeah. they would have been more build up, like just introduce her as a character and then do her her crazy plot next season. Especially since next season looks like they're going to be rebuilding the Federation. Her wanting to be part of that would make more sense then than it does now, I think. They'll probably bump into her evil sister next season. <laughs> My little sister, too! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah. So, Dave, what did you think? I mean, uh, now we've had time to think about season three, and I know we've talked about every episode extensively, but... Like, what is your overall feelings of season three? I mean, overall, it is the most cohesive uh, season when you look at it from start to finish. They talk about the burn. They forget about the burn for a long time and they get back to the burn. So, I mean, it does seem like they did plan it from beginning to end. But I just feel like they like there's a whole middle section where they just kind of like forget about the burn and go on just random adventures. Um in the middle, which some of them were fun, like the the prison escape episode was a whole lot of fun. That was a lot I, of fun. I, I really agree. enjoyed yeah, that, that episode, episode a lot. Yeah. Um, but you know, it just didn't do anything for the overall overall plot. And then, you know, speaking about the burn, we should probably just do a whole section on what our specific thoughts of the burn, because I mean, I I had so much hope for the burn and the temporal cold war and the temporal prime directive since they talked about all this stuff, and you know, they talked about you know. A part of subspace going away because the Gorn were trying to do like what wormholes or create their own wormholes or something. And they, mm-hmm. these quick quick mentions in episode one that we never got any like follow up on, which would yeah. have been super nice to yeah. have anything reference beyond those tidbits. Like what happened? Why did subspace collapse? We never got any of that. And I've been watching Trek Yards, how they said, like, the beginning of the season, you guys were saying travel was super hard, communication was hard, like, they could only see, you know, so far out. And then at the end of the season, it seemed like there was no issue anymore whatsoever. Well, let's let's yeah, take exactly. a moment and, and drill down on the burn. Let's let's talk about that, because I think that was a major plot device. And then I felt like we were just like, here's the reason. And I kind of felt like, eh, that was it. Like, I was expecting something more grandiose, something a little more nuanced. Um, we got the, you know, we got the introduction to the planet Navarre, you know, Vulcan, that's uh, been uh, unific- unified with the Romulans. I mean, that's a nice payoff for Unification Part 1 and 2. Spock, it was Spock's goal all along. It's nice to His see. His legacy. It, it's nice yeah. to see that it finally came to fruition. Yeah. Um, but- I, I felt like this, the, the idea that Sakal is somehow some conduit because he was born uh, by this dilithium planet. And somehow he can manipulate by, you know, his outburst when his mother died and that caused the burn. I I felt that was kind of lacking and not that those things couldn't happen in the Star Trek universe because we've seen weird things like that happen before, but it just, it didn't like really do anything for me in the end. Um. See, I'm I'm glad the, I'm glad the reason for the burn was what it was because oh, really? yeah, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people because it was a season wide arc. They were like they wanted it to be something grandiose. They wanted a bad guy of the week. They wanted the the big baddie, um, some you know nefarious plot going on. I'm glad we didn't get that because this was it felt very much like a it's a one off thing. It happened. It's not going to happen again. It's like an episode of a self contained episode of TNG. Just imagine that they get a report that. 
all the lithium one inert within a certain system or a certain sector. Uh, they go investigate, and that was the cause. You'd be like, that's a good episode of TNG. But it's not so a good just season. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. They took it and stretched it over the course of a season, and it's kind of like, uh, but at the same time, I, I appreciated that. I didn't, big baddies don't work in Star Trek, in my opinion. It's like turning Star Trek into an action movie with the big baddie almost never works like 95 percent of the time it just doesn't feel like star trek yeah. so i kind of liked that it was that it was some you know subverting our expectations a bit i mean I, I, i'm fine yeah, with it if, if it would have been some sort of accident i'm not fine with some just random kelpian who shouts and it causes the lithium to explode why does any of his other mouth noises make the thing the <laughs> uh, lithium explosions <laughs> forget he about his Marcus. family and saw his family and crew dead on the floor and then watched his mother die and she looked like a zombie from radiation. It d- doesn't bother me in the slightest that that's what caused the burn. We were caught, we were predicting that like halfway through the season once we found out that, you know, well, not halfway, but when we found out about Sukal, it's like probably from his mother dying, you know? Right. I mean, he's pretty impactful. He, may, he seemed emotionally stunted for I, sure I, I when mean, we're introduced to him. I, I understand it's a traumatic event, but still, like if if his if his voice is what's causing the the burn to happen, why didn't any of the talking with the other holograms create? I don't other think small it's necessary. I, it seemed like it had to be emotional. Yes, you know, so it was so strong that yeah. somehow he released some kind of I don't know um, energy that you know synchronized with. Uh, all dilithium within subspace or some kind of ways, you know, dilithium's tied together, I'm, which I'm not clear because dilithium is made up. So, Well, all dilithium has a subspace component. That's why it's needed for high energy warp. So for high warp speed, you need dilithium regardless of your power source. <clears throat> That's why it didn't affect the Romulans who had quantum singularity drives. See, know, the they only were, problem they were, right, they were right in the, all, all along. Yeah. The only problem I had with the dilithium thing was it's been 930 years. They knew dilithium was running out. How many fast or FTL drives did we see in Voyager? A hundred experimented with in TNG, and yet they in all that time they didn't come up with something different. We get a mention of subspace or our slipstream once, and we get the transwarp, which is briefly talked about. 50-50 chance, not very good chance, and then all of a sudden they use it at the end, and we find out why because it's cluttered with, you know, ship debris. It mm-hmm. just, it, 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 that bothered me. There has to be other kinds of FTL. I, I, I completely agree with that, Stuart. Like, the fact that they're still using warp when it's cosmically so slow, even at, like, warp 9, it, you know, taking 70 years to get, I mean, they, they've got to have come up with a better warp solution that far in the future, and I just... I just feel like it's lack of vision that they haven't done that. They created this problem that just yeah. seems like it's just complete lack of vision. Uh, my, yeah, my issue with the burn uh, with Sakal is not so much that I wanted a big bad. I wanted like a, a, a more uh, like maybe an accidental problem or something that from, a you know, we, they talked about uh, Navarre developing some technology that, you know, they're kind of cagey about, you know, telling the federation about it at first you think it's because maybe they caused it but it wasn't that had nothing to do with it of course um so you know vulcans are really dumb if they can't figure out that they didn't cause it well you know they didn't (laughs) they didn't didn't know they caused it but they didn't think they did they speculated but they they quickly proven that they didn't 
you're talking about the SB19, which is what the Federation told them to work on to solve the dilithium problem. And I think the problem is they thought they caused the burn because probably when they initiated like one of their first tests, just coincidentally, it happened at the exact same time as the burn. So I can see them being a little bit like, ah, oh, shit, did we do that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> yeah. Oops, sorry, guys. And at that point, no matter what, um, the Federation Starfleet was crippled. So uh, as well as probably uh, 99.9% of all of uh, other starships that were out there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, what happened well, to the dinosaurs in the Delta Quadrant, though? Were they using their lithium? Did they blow up? I want to know things. Things I need to know. Voyager J. How far did the how did they even did they actually say how far the burn extended? No. Was that was no. that? We don't yeah. know anything. We don't know where the burn. I mean, they told us the nebula, but we don't know where it is. Apparently, it's close to Federation headquarters. If they can just warp there and not a lot of time, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and uh, Osiris could get there not a lot of time. Uh, they just forget about the distances. I mean, in the first episode, it seems so far. I mean, basically, I did the math for the first episode. Basically, he could only have sensors for about one light year or one year's worth of warp. Okay. Because um, yeah. it was like so many light years. I just divided that by how many light years Voyager was away. And like basically his one year of high warp travel is about as far away as he could see. Which isn't a, not. I mean, it's big, but it's not like huge and so i mean that would that would definitely limit things but they kind of forgot about that so if that's your limit one year of high warp that's not a whole lot of space considering mm-hmm. yeah yeah doesn't ever said how far it extended but like they didn't know. even say where federation headquarters is now i mean it's it's still got to be <laughs> relatively close to navarre we don't know where anything is and and um yeah. the new star trek they don't care to tell us yeah um, I don't think they care about it at all, so they didn't bother figuring it out. I would have loved if the burn was some sort of accident that tied back to previous canon. I would have loved for it to be a temporal agent from the Temporal Cold War to maybe I know. cause we the were, end of we the were... Temporal Cold War. Or, yeah. or the Borg messing with a, a Omega Particle again. Like, something. Like, it would have been fine if it was just some big cosmic accident, but just some kid screaming. I was just kind of... Like we were that's that's where we were kind of like going for we thought it maybe it has something to do with the temporal cold war maybe that has part of it or you know like or maybe it's the omega particle that was the that was the you know talk early chatter in the beginning of all this but obviously that wasn't part of the plan so um well let's i mean since we're talking about also federation headquarters and, and stuff like that let's talk about the Federation and also the Federation look and technologies that we're seeing. Um, a lot of things I thought myself, I thought there was a lot of cool uh, imagineering, if you want, if you will, about um, new technology. I thought they, they hit some pretty cool ideas, you know, like the com badges that work as tricorders and uh, you can beam from anywhere. I thought that's, you know, yeah, that's a given. Let's let's go there because we're there, right? Um, mm-hmm. yeah, um, uh, programmable matter that kind of just like you know uh, works around you however you plan to. I think that's fantastic. Um, I was a little sketchy on ship design, and I was a little bit like, eh. Um, There's I, I, the Star Trek visual language is dead. 
There's no callbacks yes, to it at all, and that's disgusting. Even even the Voyager J, it just looks like the Elon Musk uh, Cybertruck, but just in space. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's just sad that the visual language of Star Trek is just dead and buried now. Um, well, the problem is they farm out all the CGI to like these companies that have 15 other projects on the go. So somebody gets handed a sheet of paper says, "I need three Starship Star Trek ships, go." And he's like, uh, "But I, I'm a I'm a Star Wars." F- oh, oh, okay, fine. Um, you know, right? right yeah, it's, yeah. It's not the same team, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um. I, I felt really uninspired by those ships, and I and I've seen you know like uh, certain places that people are like, well, this is fantastic. These ships, and I'm like, I think those ships are a little ugly, if you ask me. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't expect that we're going to get anything from what we got before, and I, you know, I don't know. I just it 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 did nothing, and honestly, the refit to a Discovery helped in some ways, but I still don't understand the the. Um, Detachable yeah. warp nacelles. Detachable nacelles. I, I don't really know what that does, other than maybe it doesn't cause stress on the rest of the ship uh, structurally. That's the only thing I could possibly think. You know. Yeah. Well, they 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 said it improved maneuverability, so yeah, stress would be a big part of that. They do attach when they spore jump until they don't, and they also attach before they go to warp too. So the the thing that. Pointing at. The thing that mm-hmm. kind of drives me crazy about the design philosophy was probably book ship the most because it just breaks apart into 50 different pieces. And I'm like, wh- why? How is that helpful? It seems like there's so many points of failure. The they reconfigured it to a snake to get through the, the debris. Yeah, I, just, I mean, that works. I mean, I, I guess, <laughs> but it just seems like there's so many points of failure on a ship that, that can do that kind of thing. It just is like, it, it seems uh, it, not good. From a design point of view. But it's all view. programmable matter. So, I mean, it's like if one nano nanobot goes down, there's other ones to replace it, right? Oh, they'll just, they'll just can cannibalize keep, it and re-replicate it. As long as they can keep yeah. communicating with each other, that's where I get kind of like, what happens when something there yeah. starts, stops working? Then you're you're dead in space, period. That's going to be like a great super dying. weapon for next season. This is something that just, just makes all programmable matter inert and Federation is going to be fucked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the burn two point Yeah, uh, the, the, the wrath of Sakal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think he had some get his first orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's going to cause some shit. Oh, that's great. No, he's not. He's not tied to programmable matter, so that's fine. Oh, but what God. a programmable matter gives him his first orgasm. Oh wow! It's like the the oh. the, the, the first Kelpian flashlight is programmable. <laughs> oh my god! What does that even? Look like? yeah, I know, right? Uh, I so there were some things I thought they did really well for this uh, the season, and and I would not even presume try to come up with technology that far in the future. You know, Star Trek has been known obviously for you know coming up with these great ideas and then we've implemented those ideas in the meantime, you know, from, you know, yeah. you know uh, uh, tablets and stuff like that and uh, all sorts of things o- over the years, but they've tried to even go further and that's hard to do. You know, that's hard to, that's hard to, to imagine that far ahead. So, um, but yeah, I thought the ship designs were a little like eh, lackluster. Um, I, I do think the refit of Discovery looks 
better. It looks great. And from the back, it almost has an Enterprise D vibe where the um, the neck is thinner at the bottom, gets wider at the top. It it, it just yeah. looking at it gave me some Enterprise D vibes, which was like really kind of nice and nostalgia. I'm like, ooh, it looks like the D now. Give me mm-hmm. the D. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I, yeah. So I think I think they did pretty well. Um, the Federation itself. Um, I, I felt that they had this great idea of, you know, trying to reassemble and there's some semblance of this Federation still around. Um, I guess it's the best they could do for, for where they were at that time. Yeah. Uh, but I, um, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it didn't, wasn't uninspiring. It just was more of just like uh, more sad as we're, when we were introduced to everything because of the state of, yeah. you know, cause you just want to know that the Federation of Starfleet is still there. Which Let's give them credit for, for Admiral Vance for him not being a bad admiral. He's an admiral. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. I mean, that's 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 a that's sort of a first. I I was kind of hope I was almost kind of hoping he'd be a bad guy because I was getting like especially the Navarre uh, episode um, Unification Three. I was really starting to think that maybe Starfleet was bad because of what. Um, the Vulcan lady was saying to uh, Saru that maybe Starfleet had yeah. lost its way and like the fe- that they were so happy to find the Federation again that they didn't realize it had kind of turned bad. And that would have been kind of a fun, fun plot since since we've had so many bad morals. Yeah, would, it I mean, it would have been, but I'm glad again, I'm glad they didn't do that because that's what everybody was expecting. That was every, everybody was anticipating. So that subversion of expectations was great. It's like, oh, it's so refreshing. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. It is nice because it's it becomes a little cliche after a while. Um, yeah. uh, we'll have to get a bad roll next season. <laughs> yeah, oh, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, Starfleet headquarters. Um, I, I thought that was a it was a really cool sets, and I thought the I thought the programmable matter was a really cool idea, and we saw them interact with that. I mean, mm-hmm. any thoughts on those on on that set design? On uh, what Starfleet headquarters? Exactly. Yeah, Starfleet headquarters. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a little lackluster for me. Um, the the top couple levels we saw were pretty cool, considering you just walk you walk through the doorway and all of a sudden you're on the next level, like you got transported, and then you got the nanotech floors or the programmable matter floors that just appear before you. There were some good ideas there. Um, and I got to admit, the the uniforms, the new Starfleet uniforms, look so much better on at Starfleet Command. You put that uniform with that color on the Discovery Bridge, and it's like, oh no, that's not right. That doesn't work because the colors aren't complementary. I think that's why they stayed away from giving them uniforms for the whole series, pretty much. In, the in, they can redress in, the bridge for the next season, so the uniforms don't look ugly yeah. against it next the next season. Yeah. Uh, I think they will at least repaint it. I think, okay, in, in going about the uniforms, I felt that the uniforms, I like the idea of the uniforms. I I, I wish they weren't like a, a matte gray, but I like the stripes showing their divisions. Um, I think me, they could be... Reminds I think me a little bit be, Into Darkness, the, the gray uniforms they were wearing. A little bit, yeah. Ripped apart right, by Pike. Right. But I, I would like to see them a little more uh, form-fitting. They seemed a little too baggy, um, especially that last scene with when it was Cap- uh, Captain Berman uh, uh, sitting down in the She was chair. probably just wearing just... Vance's uniform. They probably haven't been fitted for their own uniforms yet. <laughs> I, 
I know. I just it felt a little too like uh, uh, um, sloppy for a uniform. Um, I kind of yeah. wanted to see a little tailored. A lot of people and, complained about Riker's uniform at the end of Picard, also that it just didn't fit him right. I heard a lot of people complain about that too. Yeah, that's true. Put on weight over the years. So. <laughs> Um, I, I, so I, I don't, I don't, that didn't bother me so much. I, and I honestly, I, I never hated, uh, the original, um, the blue, uh, discovery uniforms, but I never was in love with it. I just was like, it's okay. Yeah. Never did a I mean, lot. Me. I mean, storytelling wise, bringing, bringing them all together at the end with the uniforms was a good storytelling, um, element, but in reality, they would have had those uniforms like right away (laughs) it took it took three weeks to refit discovery they said so in the meantime they would have gotten new uniforms you know yeah they would have integrated them immediately yeah um yeah i i'm the big thing that bothers me is that stamets is alive stamets built the spore drive they have got presumably the plans on board for the spore drive yet somehow it's irreplaceable technology why this is yeah. so dumb. I'm I'm really hoping they'll implement because that was my burning question throughout. They kept on saying it, like the fir- very first episode they meet Starfleet. They're like we're gonna replicate the great spore drive. Then they never mention it again until like the second to last episode where they said they can't replicate it. I'm like why? This is stupid. Think, this is 900 years of the future. Stan- I think it's because of Stamets and his DNA, the tardigrade DNA. Well, I mean, um, being able to use the spore drive is not the same as replicating the physical technology that goes into a starship. That's that's what, how they made it exactly. sound. Uh, and now I know that's how they made it sound. But. I mean, like, I mean, I wish they would have explained it better or said, "Oh, we need more." We don't like, and then all of a sudden the tardigrades are extinct. Like, why? Like, it's just, it's just all these weird. Well, I think he was just saying that he. He didn't believe that, I don't think. That was just to throw them off the trail. Mm, I mean, maybe. Because they, they transcend time. How can they be extinct? Yeah, like, it, that just... was bizarre. Very bizarre line to make. Why Why are they extinct? And and then now, um, all of Book's race that has the empathic ability, they can all be spore jumpers. Yeah. 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 Hell, we could get Deanna exactly. Troy's, you know, great, 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 great Grand Riker and throw him in the spore <laughs> drive, probably. Grand Riker. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, we get yeah, a Riker that, in the spore drive. That's that was an interesting development too. That uh, book could uh, to could interface with that spore drive. So um. <laughs> it, it was, and you almost saw it coming when they explained it. But then at the same time, it's like, hey, go down to the spore chamber, and we're going to eject the warp core, and we're going to die if you don't do this right away. I know you've never done it before, but go ahead. I know you've never done it before. It almost killed Stamets the first couple hundred times he did it, but he got over it. Um, No pressure. No pressure. Yeah, no, no pressure. I I just, I never understood why it was such a, such a chore for him to do. And it was basically killing him in season one. And now it's absolutely fine. Like they never explained that away. That's true too. Yeah. I just like, I just, and then now Stamets is like absolutely useless. I don't even know what they're going to do with him in season three. Other I mean, season four, other than being a deer is dad. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, having a rivalry with Burnham now, he's still pissed at Burnham. Oh yeah, you saw him give that stink eye at the end, like yeah, well, fuck you. I mean, I think that's kind of <laughs> nice because it's bringing Stamets back around full circle to hate the captain. Because in season one, he hated Lorca, and they had that Lorca and him had this contention the entire time, which was a lot of fun. I loved it when Lorca stuck st- stuck in the Stamets, but now like Stamets has no legs to stand on. He can probably transfer with Culber and Gray and Adira out. 
make more spore drives and not have to deal with Burnham anymore. And what is he going to do on the ship? He's not a good engineer. I mean, Jet Reno had to walk him through everything. Uh, <laughs> well, he's not, he's not an engineer. He's a sport technician. Ex- exactly, but he's Whatever. got... His jobs have been eliminated by Book. Book can do it now. <laughs> yeah. His importance I, I was, I was... is going to be less and less every season, it seems. And it's it's sad, because I really like Anthony Rapp. He's a fantastic actor. I love his sass. I love his character, too. I, I, I don't think his character is... Uh, I think he's actually one of the better characters. Especially um, next to Jet Reno. I love them yeah. together. Oh, their they're back and forth is it's, great. It's, oh my yeah, it's amazing. It yeah, Anthony Rapp's actually a, a friend of mine. He, he watched Trek Yards, eh? Oh, oh really? And, uh, That's awesome. Watched, he watched Trek Yards when they were doing when uh, they were doing season uh, two uh, because he wanted to see watch our speculation videos to see if we got anything right. Mm. Um, and so when I when we went up to meet him in Vegas, I walked up to him and he's like, "Captain," and nods his head, and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, he so he knew who we were, uh, nice. which is awesome. So now. I, I talk to him on the regular. Um, he's like an hour away from me because he's in Toronto and I'm in London. So that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And actually, it's funny because all day I had my business cards and my key card in my pocket. So <laughs> after he said captain, I, I go to hand him the Trekyard's business card, mm-hmm. and I handed him my room key instead. And he's like, <laughs> oh, Captain Foley! <laughs> <laughs> oh so, man, propositioning yeah, him—that's great. Then, yeah, and then we started ch- uh, chatting, and we found out that he had actually watched uh, a few, quite a bit of Trekyard speculation videos early on. So that's yeah, awesome. That was interesting. I mean, that's, I, that's that's really great. I love him. I love his character. I I love his acting. I I just I just from a story standpoint, I don't know what they're gonna do with him because you know he was super yeah. important in season one because he's the only one that can run the spore drive in season two. Now his job's been stolen. Well, let's let's talk about this because I mean, talking about bringing off Stamets. I mean, obviously, Stamets didn't want to lose Culber. Uh, I, he was that's what he was afraid of. <clears throat> and then at that point where I think it was uh, the the second to last episode, there's a tide. Uh, they um, he gets he gets ejected by by uh, Michael off Michael the, McLean Burnham. Yeah, get get kicks yes. it kicks her kicks him off and you know he obviously holds that against her or, or it seems like it that's that last parting shot mm-hmm. um so I, I so obviously next season we're gonna deal with that in some manner i'm assuming this is what i'm hoping doesn't happen so it past season i think season two when culber uh confronts ash tyler and they kind of in that fight in a mess hall remember that I thought mm-hmm. that was great. I thought it was awesome. And then it just all gets kind of swept on the rug. Like sometimes some things you ain't cool and we ain't going to be friends kind of thing. And yeah. um, I don't know if this is that level, but it's, he did eject her. I mean, she did eject him into space. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he was fine. He only got bent in half, but he's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know uh, thoughts about that. Like where the, the maybe not morale, but like the dynamics between the crew and stuff like that. I think it'd be fun to see a, a Lorca um, Stamets uh, thing kind of between uh, Michael and Stamets. Although I'm pretty sure Adira uh, and um, Colber love Michael, so they'll like talk him down. 
that's that, that's what that's yeah, what, sure. that's what I'm thinking because everyone loves Michael so much except for him, and you know I'm sure they'll be like, look, they did it so that they wouldn't use you again. I mean, they put that brain box from Dino Riders on your head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I well, mean, the, the funny thing is, the funny thing is now, okay, Burnham's the captain. She's going to be like, yeah, we need to spore jump, go down there. He's going to be like. Fuck you, and she's gonna be like, "All right, I'll just get my boyfriend to do it." Yeah, do my it boyfriend will do it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's gonna cause good. some friction between him and Book as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, they'll have to have a, a wild uh, three-way. Uh, Book will have to, you know, convince them uh, that uh, she's that she's she's a good captain. Um, I think that'd be. I mean, I, it's a good idea to have a backup spore person because I mean, you know, it's not fair to Stamets yeah. to be like. Uh, you know, I'm off. I'm gonna have some romantic time with Culber. Oh wait, uh, we gotta have a black alert. I was like, oh fuck, <laughs> gotta get out of bed. Well, so yeah, gotta... but so the thing is though, if so, we the parting shot as well when they're in their uniforms. Book is not in a uniform. He did express at one uh, point um, to Saru that he was thinking about joining up or somehow. He's done everything but suck Saru's dick to try to get into Starfleet. Uh, but so, you know, uh, is book going to be just still that kind of cowboy or is he going to join, um, he'll be the new instant Tilly next season. Oh, Tilly, you think so? Tilly, Tilly needs to get a promotion to a Lieutenant or something. God, they should have promoted her whenever she became number one. It was so stupid that they promoted her to second in command, but left her an ensign. Well, she just got promoted to ensign in the end of season two, dude. <laughs> She's only been an ensign for like a hot second. Oh yeah, she was a cadet. That's true. She was a cadet. How long yeah, was Harry was Kim an ensign? Harry Kim was still an ensign. <laughs> He's now what? still an ensign. Right now. <laughs> He's a twenty-three year yeah, ensign. That's, that's a different uh, situation though. You know, when you're on a ship with only a certain number of people, you only have a certain number of positions available. So. Yeah, but Tom Paris got promoted, demoted, and repromoted. <laughs> That's when you start taking That's people true. out. Um, <laughs> yeah, no shit, eh? Jacoti, you're out. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, I just, I, I wonder where that, like, book's character is going to go because he's sort of just like, like I said, he's like that cowboy Han Solo-ish character on the side, you know? Especially since the ship is very yeah. uh, pseudo-Millennium Falcony. Yeah. Yeah. The Lego ship. <laughs> the Lego Millennium Falcon, yes. Yeah. Um, Speaking of new characters, Adira and Gray, they were featured way more than I thought they'd be. I thought they'd be in one episode and then it'd be the rest of the Michael Burnham show. And they did a lot better in season three with showing uh, the existing crew and giving them more to do and uh, introducing these new characters and also giving them something to do, which I thought was interesting. Although I don't buy Gray still being alive and being in a hologram, that just... that through me and i still don't understand what the I, hell that was about because i i would have loved to see all of her past uh uh, uh was it um lives that the uh, symbiote lived with you know so yeah. there's like an old guy yeah, an old it should woman. be it should be all or nothing and not just <laughs> not just gray because i mean we do have some uh, thing where the trills can expel their previous lives and put them into a different form we saw in deep space nine where Cork got to be a woman. Odo got to be Curzon. That was a fun episode. So there is some kind of like weird spirituality with the um, with the trill and the symbiont. But this was just 
even it was further outside the realm of believability to me because it was just he just became a hologram all of a sudden. I was like, why? Like it was a giant ritual in DS Nine to get the body to get the other other people's bodies to be inhabited by a past host. Yeah, but you gotta remember, Deer is human, so the way he died and the the quick transplant, he, he didn't have the symbiote for very long either. Um, so who knows what's going on there? That's going to be a season four thing for sure with the way they built it up. Mm-hmm. And because even Doctor Colbert says now that we know that the Deer is not fucking crazy with an imaginary friend, we'll do everything to get you back. Um, so that's going to be a big thing. We're going to learn about that in season uh, four because oh, oh. I still think that Gray. I think I still think that Gray was killed. Deliberately, they're going to go to the mycelial network and find Gray there, and they're going to take him out like they did with Colbert. Mm. Uh, I because yeah, the mycelial network is a nice little like middle ground for between the living and the dead. It seems like it's like it's like limbo or or purgatory or something. Maybe they can find uh, Gray there to bring him back mm. corporeally. I, I still, I Maybe. still have. I was actually talking to a friend. Uh, this week about discovery and he he hadn't seen discovery and i was trying to describe the mycelium network (laughs) and he was like why wouldn't they just use dark matter as a as a conduit instead of mycelium i'm not really sure uh and it 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 never is i mean other than they describe what it is i don't understand the mycelium network other than it's what what they've the the general parameters of what it is well I think the dark matter is a good idea, especially since Tilly brought up dark matter in the mycelial network, which is another thing they never brought back up, which I'm really disappointed about. Like so many neat things they brought up and they just never like went back to them um, with the finding the alternative for using the sport drive. Because, I mean, if this mycelial network does move through dark matter, I mean, that would be kind of a, an interesting tie in. But they've only connected the two in that one episode for like two seconds and then it's never been yeah because they took that chunk of dark matter right right yeah so i mean it could be tied to it but they won't talk about it because they don't like getting it, into things like that it's it, it's always been a head scratcher for me and i i don't expect them to have like of all the information because it's obviously a, it's on the far edge of science dark matter itself is purely we, speculation we yeah. don't know much about it uh, that it just has to, there has to be something else out there that we can't quite figure out because there's more basically there's grav there's gravity there's m- holding things together that that shouldn't be there. Well, yeah, there's more movement in the further away stars in the galaxy than there should be for the gravity. So they they that's why they think there's something else that's helping them move at the same speed as other things. Right. Uh, mm. But the mycelium network would be nice if they had a little more backstory written into it too i would I mean, I'd love the, to learn more about the, it the most we got about the mycelial network was like the third or fourth episode where they go to the Glen and and where they had the shuttle ride and stamets talked in depth about it and that was all we got yeah yeah, yeah. uh i really just, wish we got more techno babble that was really good and interesting in discovery they don't do it often we get one episode that's got a little bit of techno babble that like is good and interesting, and then they kind of shy away from it. Because these are all technobabble. these are in-house ideas for discovery, especially, and I can't imagine they don't have uh, you know that that uh, show bible that has all the all the deep down you know stories and backstories written down. They don't. That's the problem. Yeah, and my ceiling isn't an inside discovery thing. That's based on real science. 
Paul Stamets is named after the actual real scientist. Who wears the, the mushroom? The real hat. scientist who's, who's alive right now. Yeah, the mushroom man is named Paul Stamets. So if you if you want to Google that and read all about it, read no, all I, about it. I, I'm aware of them. It's more of, but I I wanted you know I would love to see like and I don't expect them they're going to you know give you all that information. Uh, but it would be nice if they have all that written out and then they can kind of give you more and more little like uh, tidbits of yeah. information throughout the stories. I mean and. It, and they can be almost throwaway lines at certain points too, but it would be nice if they did that. And then we can kind of like collect the bed breadcrumbs to make our loaf, you know? I mean, I, I agree. I wish they would. I just don't think they have or do. And I don't think they care. I think after three seasons of discovery and one season of Picard, they don't care about what used to make Star Trek, Star Trek. I, I feel like they're more about hitting all these like diversity check marks and making those the most important things about the show instead of just having them there and telling a good story. Cause see, it's cause, to me, start, cause, that's, cause TOS, to me that's a no brainer. I think you should do that period. And, and let's exactly. Face it, I mean, but, but TOS, you had, you know, you had a Hura, you had Sulu, you had Chekhov and you had Kirk, you had them all on the bridge, but they didn't talk about it. They didn't make a big deal about it. They were just there. The, represent- over it. the representation was there, and they didn't talk about it ever. Discovery can't stop talking about it, and that's the focus of the show instead of the story. And yeah, that's I, I, that's where Discovery falls off. They're like, oh, we're being diverse like Star Trek has always been. I understand Star Trek has always been diverse, but Star Trek just took it for granted. TOS took it for granted. It was there, and they didn't talk about it. It was just, we're diverse. This is how it's going to be. Yeah, and I agree. I always felt that Star Trek was like, we're beyond that bullshit. All the prejudice that mankind has, we, we see today is gone. Like, we don't even talk about that shit anymore. That's that's like us talking about, like, cave paintings. Like, we don't care. Like, yeah, that's that was interesting, I guess, but that's not our thing, so. That's the thing. Um, it was a given, and they didn't talk about it because it was a given. And But Discovery just can't stop talking about it. And because they can't stop talking about it, that's getting in the way of them telling interesting science fiction stories and morality tales instead of talking almost exclusively about, like, diversity and and whatever and i'm just like i just i mean keep it in the show it's great that colbert's there like honestly the colbert stamets writing was some of the best writing in all of season one two and three their interactions together some of the best damn writing in in the entire show so i mean Uh. keep it there but just like focus on other things like tell the story and keep the characters but just don't focus i mean like the whole adira thing they referred to her as she. They made this big deal that she was going to be this, like, you know, you know, this first non-binary character in Star Trek. They referred to her as she to the middle of the season. Then she's like, please don't call me she. Call me they. They called her they for one episode, and they just called her a deer for the rest of the series. I don't think they referred to her as they or anything for the rest of the run. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's like they made this big deal about absolutely nothing. If they would have just called her they from, like, if she would have just said it the first episode, they called her they the entire series, fine. But they didn't. So it just seems like a wasted opportunity. They just hyped this up, and it was nothing. I, yeah, I don't, and I, I, I don't and understand. I like the Adira character, too. I, I love her. An interesting she's, character. she's a great character, but the, the, the politics built up around it was just like, it was built up and built up, and then they only mentioned it once, and then they forgot about it. And it's just like, but I don't know. And, and maybe, honestly, maybe that's to certain people that it means a lot to them. And, I, and I'll give that, you know, it's, it's room to breathe. 
you know, but I, I agree. I think I, I always felt Star Trek was always like, it, it didn't matter, you know, what your orientation was or your skin color or, or where you came from, as long as, you know, you were working for, you know, the Starfleet and you had the best intentions and you were doing your very best for your crew and, you know, everyone else around you. Yeah, um, that's what I think is missing. That's all I always felt. Star Trek you know, like, new Star Trek. Nobody, nobody talked about anything else. I mean, sure, there, you know, we have episodes where that deal with it in some manner or form here and there. So yeah, the half black, half white faces, the the Romulan versus Vulcan <laughs> racism. I mean, it's it's all there in the show. It's still there, but it's used differently. Yeah, which yeah. is which uh, is the genius of how Star Trek was, and I feel like New Star Trek is missing that genius. Uh. If we're gonna go down Outrage Avenue, um, Outrage. <laughs> what What if we uh, let's talk about here's? I don't have outrage over it. I just want to talk about the character because it is polarizing. Uh, is Michael Burnham? Uh, I think Michael has a lot of great qualities. The character, how it's written. Uh, I think you know, uh, Sonequa Martin Green is a fantastic a- a- actor. I mean, there's uh, the, that hope is you part one. She kind of carries the whole episodes on her shoulders. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's all her, and she is phenomenal in the whole thing. My issue has always been, and I, I'm thankful, fucking thankfully, finally made her captain. Um, the three seasons of putting her through the ringer to become captain uh, kind of dumbfounds me in a lot of ways. Like, I understand they wanted to start off the show with a non you know, the, uh, a view of not being captain, you know, because we kind of see like Lorca and he's just sort of this imposing figure and you kind of go into his in his uh, uh, ready room and you talk to him and he's kind of like weird and stuff like that. So you and then you leave and I get that idea that they're trying to do. But like Burnham had repeatedly proven herself over and over again to be fantastic and really good at what she did. And yet she kept on getting slapped down. And I got kind of like frustrated because other characters wouldn't be written this way. You know, Cisco wouldn't be written this way. Kirk wouldn't be written this way. Uh, Picard wouldn't be written this way. And I kind of felt frustrated how they're writing her. So I don't know. Any thoughts on Michael Burnham, the character and where she's come? She feels human finally after two seasons of wooden acting uh, or direction, I should say, because I was raised on Vulcan. I have no emotions. In this one, in this season, she's emotioning all over the place. Every episode, she's crying. Um, <laughs> at least she's more. At least she's more relatable now, and I'm glad. Like she smiles, she laughs. It's like holy shit, this is a person. I can relate to them now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's two. It's two seasons of ill will for me. I don't like the character of Michael Burnham. Mm. That, that weird whisper talk she does all the time. Yeah, it's she like, needs I mean, to start talking a little louder once in a while. Yeah, everything's kind of like, do you realize what we're going to do? We're going to just, it's like, relax, just talk like a human being, please, you know? Yeah, right. Um, and I think, I think making her a captain was a, <sighs> probably a good idea, but yeah, the premise of the show was, we're not going to be focusing on the command crew, that's what's going to make the show unique. That was they, the original concept. They they lied, <laughs> because she, she was, yeah. she was lower decks for two episodes before they put her back on the, back in the bridge crew. Because she was on the bridge crew for the first two episodes, and the next two episodes she was lower decks doing science stuff, and then the rest of the season she was on the bridge. 
So they lied about the premise of it being a Lower Decks-type show. They lied about the season one being about the Klingon War when it was really about the Mirror Universe. And, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it's just a lot of bait-and-switch with Discovery, which I think has caused a lot of ill will for me personally. Michael Burnham, the character... Sonequa Martin-Green's a f- phenomenal actress. They gave her really lots of really bad lines just saying different kinds of emotions over and over again in the first two seasons because she was Vulcan and she didn't know what to do with them. Um, it, it's yeah. definitely nice to see her more human this season, but it's too little too late. I, I, I don't care for the character. Maybe she'll be better as Captain, but I just, you know, I always joked and called the show the Michael Burnham show because everyone else got sidelined in favor yeah, you of never her. saw anybody. It was just her jumping in an action and be like, you know, wait, wait for us. I mean, she was like Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> Leroy <laughs> Jenkins. Yeah, um, but I, the thing is, Picard show had less Picard in it than Michael than than Discovery had Michael Burnham, and the show was called Picard. So it's like, kind yeah, of, it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of the the Picard show should be called the La Quinta Crew, and uh, Discovery should be called the Michael Burnham show, since that's how the. They, I guess. I guess. Feel. Yeah. See, I, I, I like the idea of Michael Burnham in a lot of ways. I, I didn't like how they wrote her as constantly this tortured character, and why she made the choices she made. I, I, I agree uh, that at least this, this season they've made her more human. The crying thing, like you said, Stuart, that is gotta fucking end. Every fucking episode, someone's crying, and I'm like, "Are we Starfleet yeah. officers?" Or are we yes, we like... are because they say that like they're in a fucking cult. We are Starfleet. We are Starfleet. Yeah, <laughs> it is got to be the most frustrating thing. I'm just like, and cue the crying, you know, like and what cue the, the cultism. Fuck? I it's... just, I it, it 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 just infuriates me. It's like I, we we might see it once. A, a whole series with anybody else, but we don't see yeah. it. I, I don't know. It just it's it's unbelievable. I mean, Paris cried a little. I think I think Paris cried a little bit when he was turning into a lizard. But I mean, I mean, who wouldn't with the turning into a, a space I don't lizard? What if a lizard? Um, um, which I, I mean, mean it's that's fine, and that's 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 perfectly acceptable because it's a terrible episode. I'd cry if I was in that episode too. <laughs> I mean, Picard cried in Family and Generations. Um, Kirk, understandably so. And Kirk also, whenever he got the in, in search for Spock, uh, and I don't remember Cisco crying. Not that I. Yeah, well, yeah he, he was, did a couple times. He did a couple times. Yeah. When he uh, was uh, the Benny, real Benny. Benny <laughs> cried. Yeah. Yeah, Benny cried. Yeah. Um, but I but mean, there, it was good it reason. Was, it was few and far between. Uh, I don't know. It just it frustrates me because it's like I don't mind it if it was here and there, but it is literally every episode, sometimes twice in an episode, or if not more. And I'm just like the hugging, yeah. the crying. I'm like, oh my god. There's just there's just such a lack of um, professionalism in the crew of Discovery uh, versus everything else we've seen in Starfleet. Like they act like they're military officers in other parts of Starfleet. In Discovery, they're just like a bunch of kids like hanging out and crying. College kids. Yeah. Yeah. Saved by the bell. It's Discovery Daycare. It's a daycare ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our parents are scientists, but we just take the ship when they're not watching. <laughs> well, that's going to be the premise of Star Trek Prodigy, isn't it? Oh, my oh, God. I, I was thinking, what was that, that show, uh, the uh, school bus, the, the magic, magic school bus? bus? Magic yeah. school bus, yeah. That's, that's the prequel what, to, that's the prequel to uh, 
Captain Planet. <laughs> yeah, I so I I'm uh that I that wears wore thin on me quite a bit. Um and that's just writing. Honestly, it's just writing. I just don't know what, what they're thinking of that, so <sighs> Yeah, um, I agree. It's just it's it's bizarre. Uh should we transition to the future? Yeah, let's talk about the future. What what do we think is going to happen? I mean, I'm sure some of you guys have heard a little more, um, you know, rumors. Midnight's Edge is contending that the the series oh, will geez. be ending in se- at season three, even though they've announced the season four. Freaking a week <laughs> ago, Midnight's Edge put that out. I'm like, really, Midnight's Edge? Can you, like, not fling crap? That's just bullshit they, news. They're ridiculous. And I was talking to Anthony Rapp, like, a month, well, no, back in November. November 17th, he actually said he was talking to me from on set. So we saw Doug Jones shave his head, which he always does before he goes back. That was on Twitter. Mm. Um, Anthony's on set in Toronto under, under lockdown right now because I talk to him regularly. So they are filming. So, yeah, Midnight's Edge. I don't know, man. I, I just, I just like, I, I, Midnight's Edge used to be interesting to me, and now they just report in so much misinformation or they just spin everything like in the most negative light possible, any new rumor or news. Like I like to watch Midnight's Edge and Doomcock just to like hear what all the insane rumors are, even though most of them are bullshit. Even because one of them inevitably ends up being kind of true because they report on every fucking little thing. Well, they're yeah, but they're just hate track. That's the thing. It, I, it's I so annoying. Yeah. But, well, they get their views. Those clicks. Like that's clickbait. They get the views, they get the the instant like subscribers, they get the views, but then nobody goes back and back and watches those videos, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, right. It's, it's aggravating. Well, uh, yeah, let's yes. talk speculation and what we do know for season four. So obviously, uh, the Federation needs to be rebuilt and rejoined together. I'm sure we'll see some of that happen. Uh, Michael Burnham's captain of the Discovery. I don't know what the fate of Saru is. Hopefully, Saru he... get his own ship. It'd be kind of nice to finally have like a back and forth between multiple crews. But then we won't actually get Saru on like a, a constant basis, which Saru is a, a wonderful character. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it'd be weird. I mean, I guess they could have two captains. I mean, I guess technically, like you know, I don't know, because you know, what Star Trek two three that uh, Spock was captain and Kirk was admiral, so they kind of both co-captain the ship. I guess. Um. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I, Plus, Scotty was also captain. Yeah, of engineering, but still a captain. A lot of captains on that ship. So many captains. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I mean, like, I would. I've always wanted. Like back before Star Trek Discovery came out, I've always wanted like Discovery to be like uh, Game of Thrones in space. Let's see, like multiple locations. Like I, I wanted it to be a bigger show than just one ship. Because it'd be nice to see what's going on this part of the galaxy, this part of the galaxy, whatever. And then things kind of converge by the end, you know? That'd be kind of fun uh, to kind yeah. of, you know, tell a bigger story, uh, a more nuanced story. Uh, and instead of just follow one ship around. Because like, it's always been like the thing in Star Trek. They just follow the one ship and like, they're the one ship in range. Always. Right, so it's right. like it'd be nice to see like the fleet a, a, as a whole, especially since there's two captains. We've got Captain Saru and Captain uh, Michael Burnham. So it'd be nice to see them have two separate ships. Get see Saru like take the Voyager or whatever. That'd be great. 
to see, mm-hmm. get to see the interiors of some of the new ships. That'd be kind of fun. Um, I, I would love to see yeah. that kind of thing happen. I mean, obviously, the rebuilding the Federation. I was really hoping they would kind of get to that earlier and start working on it this season. Hopefully, we'll see more spore drive ships because the lithium is a limited resource. I mean, they are mining that giant planet, but that's only so many people to fuel an entire galaxy. I'd love to see exploration come back in. Let's go back to the Delta Quadrant, have the dinosaurs, you know, turn the caves on into slaves. <laughs> I mean, these these are questions we need answers to. Or the Kazon are just working for the dinosaur people. Are the Borg still around? Are the Dominion still around? Like, what's going on in the galaxy? Where is everything in relation to each other with this new future Starfleet? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And 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 thank God we will probably not get a mirror universe since they've drifted apart. We're hopefully done with that. Uh Yeah, I, I'm forward. I'm so done with the mirror universe. Um I don't any thoughts on you uh Stuart for season four? Like I said, they're gonna explore the Adira thing, uh and Gray. Um I love how just the discovery is basically just the, the lithium delivery service now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Take the lithium to different and that'll be good actually we like each episode going to like going back to Telar or Andor Prime or you know well not Vulcan anymore Navarre yeah. um, and seeing what these planets have been up to in the absence 100 year absence from the burn um, are they going to be reluctant to get back with Starfleet are we going to find out things like that little hint from the Navarian president lady that Starfleet kind of went sketchy and a little sideways before the burn happened. Mm. We're going to get clues to that. I think that's what it's going to be. It's going to be kind of a planet of the week situation and learning about what happened with the founding members of the Federation, perhaps. So get every, get the, get, get the band back together. Like a whole season of setup. Sure. That could be, I mean, that could be interesting. I, I mean, uh, being more episodic might be nice because they cannot yes. hold that lube covered ball that tell a, a cohesive story throughout the entire season to save their life. So a more episodic series would be interesting. Being planet delivery guy, I, I just who who's gonna be Professor Farnsworth? Are they gonna are they gonna put um um uh, what's his face with the glasses on the? Uh, can he be oh, uh, good uh, news, everyone? Kovic. Kovic, yes, they gotta put him on Discovery and he'll like send them on messages. He'll be like, Good news, everyone. <laughs> oh man. That's, if they turn Discovery that's season the four that, into Futurama, that'd be that's fantastic. That's the other thing they needed this season that I hope is in season four is a fucking liaison. Put somebody on the Discovery that's from the future. Like yeah. Lieutenant Willa, the secure the head of security. Like you need a future person to say, Oh yeah, by the way, that's what books twenty years ago this happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm surprised they didn't do that to begin with, but... Well, I mean, um, uh, I mean, um, the actor um, is uh, is coming back for um, Cronenberg. They said he is coming back for season four. So, I mean, I would love to see more of him. Like, his scenes with uh, mm-hmm. Georgia were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, Cronenberg was cool to see. I, 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 I... I think yeah i think it's getting the the federation put the 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 pieces back together and and try to and i think that'll be kind of like a background story uh i do wonder if they're going to have some some fallout from the emerald chain and like i said like the evil sister or somebody crop up and like you killed my sister you killed my you know you killed my auntie yeah exactly and 
and they're even worse or they're more deplorable than than her. So I wonder if that's going to be a thing like they're going to be working against. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I'm really interested in seeing what the fallout with Stamets and, and um, Burnham are going to be because it's going to be really difficult to operate you know, when you have a crew member that literally just hates your guts or has like something a, a real problem with you, so well, that, that's why the book can now operate the spore drive. Stamets is no longer needed. That's that's the thing I'm worried about with Anthony Rapp. I love him, but I'm just like his role in the show seems to be like subverted completely now. Especially since there's like yeah. angst in between him and Michael. If he won't do something in the spore drive, she can always send book to do it. Yeah, and that I I agree with you, Dave. I think they should be using uh, I forgot books races, but like they should be using that race to interface more with the spore drive and and building more spore drives throughout the Federation Starfleet ships, and so they can jump instantly or, or almost instantly to all these places. God, I mean, so, I'd, I'd love to see the Delta Quadrant again. Hell, explore Andromeda. Maybe we could find out where all those Harry Mud androids came from. Did the yeah. did the Picard space reaping happen in, in Andromeda with all the, the, <laughs> the sentient uh, robot race that's aeons old or whatever? Did they did it happen in yeah, Andromeda? Right, right, is right. all sentient life dead and it's the only thing that's li- alive in Andromeda is all, all androids? That could be interesting. I mean, I, I don't think we saw one android this season. Which is kind of sad since, you know, they made the androids legal again in the Federation after Picard. So The other thought is um, we're seeing Discovery and uh, Spear data kind of like merge and become sentient in some way. Um, which is interesting. It's been done before in different, uh, different sci-fis, you know, uh, in different ways, of course. Um, you know, Heart of Gold and Hitchhiker's Guides of the Galaxy and uh, Farscape sort of had like a sentient ship. Moya, she was a living ship. Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen Calypso. things like that before. Say again? What about the short trek Calypso where Discovery sits in a nebula for a thousand years to have the, the artificial intelligence marinate? Yeah, uh, did exactly. They, did they forget about that? And that's That's the old Discovery, too. That's not the refitted one, so... Yeah. Something's up. <clears throat> yeah, maybe that's just a fantasy, you know? Cause maybe that's I, a holodeck program. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't know what that's supposed to be. So, I, I so yeah. I mean, there's a there's a lot to. I, a lot I just to, feel like, like the short treks just break canon in so many ways. I'm like, I don't understand why they even exist. I'm not excited about more short treks. Are there more short treks? I think I think I read they want to keep making them, and I'm like, why? These are just. I I mean, I think technically it's a great idea. It's like a little thing to like, you know, maybe advance stories. I always thought it'd be cool to tell like side stories of what happened in between plots. I mean, I think that would be a great idea doing side stories. I I just feel like short tracks with CBS all access way to like be like, hey, hey, look, fan filmmakers, you can do Star Trek stories in under 30 minutes and not be like full length episodes. And I don't know. I don't think they've done it well yet. So. I don't think they're a good template for fan films to follow either. I, that just that was just kind of my take on fan films, trying to like stick. I mean, that was always take on short tracks. I feel like they're kind of trying to stick it to the fan film guys. I don't know. That's mm. just kind of the way I felt about them, because a lot of fan film people were crying out about the restrictions on like they can only be like two fifteen minute episodes or whatever, and they can't right, continue right. after that. Or I mean, there's there there guidelines, not rules, but I mean like. You know, tomato, tomato. Right, right. 
Um, that's yeah. the way I felt about it. I, I don't know. I'm sure it probably wasn't intended that way. That's just how I personally felt about it after seeing them. They're just like really bad attempts at making short form Star Trek, and I've not really enjoyed the Harry Mud one. I probably enjoyed the most, even though it makes me upset because was the Harry Mud in TOS even the real Harry Mud? Was it just an android? We don't know. We don't know. Was the was the TAS one another android? Was it the same Harry Mud? I mean, he recognized them, so it had to have been the, at least the same android. Does the android re- relay information back to the real Harry Mud? I don't know. They, I they mean, just... yeah. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I mean, like in the in the Marvel comics back, you know, uh, the actual comic books with uh, the Avengers and Ultron showed up. There was always a different Ultron that kept on reemerging. Mm-hmm. So it was like you could kill that, or destroy the one Ultron, and then another one would show up because it's, you know, and same thing with uh, different, like things like Brainiac and stuff like that. There'd be different versions of Brainiac and Superman and stuff like that. So anyways, and it uh, seems like they didn't know a lot about Harry Mudd and TOS, but it seems like that one Federation ship had like 60,000 Harry Mudd clones on it. So it's like, how come they didn't, I don't know. It just, I like that short track cause I love rain Wilson as Harry Mudd, but it just broke my brain for like, it just makes everything so uncertain about every other time I've seen Harry Mudd. Bro. <laughs> still haunting. Yeah. Um yeah, so that's where I think. I think I th- I think it's a little bit of all those things. I I would really like to see the spore drive be used for all federation ships. Um I I'm I'm interested to see where they take Michael Burnham as ca- uh, as captain because now she finally is captain and you know, she she can give the orders, but will she take all the all the weight of all the responsibilities on her constantly? You know, so well, she won't be able to act. But she has been, unfortunately. So I think she might lose the captaincy after like the third episode or something like that again. Oh yeah, that that, that that's that's probably part of the course story because they'll be like, "You fucked up, you asshole," and then she'll be emo. Uh, Michael Burnham again. Like, ooh, you yeah, delivered we- that to Varney instead of Navarre. Fuck you, Michael yeah. Burnham. You went to the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, they they kind of treat treat the character like that, which that frustrates the hell out of me. So, I mean, it's it's very possible. I honestly would not be surprised if they demote her immediately. <laughs> yeah, for some reason. Well, just to put Saru back in charge, because I mean, they are <clears throat> probably not going to do the two ship thing, because that's too much for them to do so and they'd have to design a whole nother ship and those ships are yucky um <laughs> that's why i was hoping they'd like pal up with the voyager because at least it's sort of if you squint is sort of the same shape as the other voyager kind of yeah if you yeah, squint really bit, hard yeah. and your eyes are closed and you imagine the original voyager there mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's good uh uh cool well i'm glad we could have this discussion i I did like season three. I still think the writing is lackluster in some aspects, but it's gotten better. And I'm glad to hear that um, they've, as you point out, Stuart, that they've kind of, they plotted out this story from beginning to end this time and not just kind of seated their pants. I I don't know how you could tell a story like this, uh, uh, you know, a 13 to 10 episode series without having a full story worked out, at least pretty well fleshed out before you even start filming. So, you know, I know there's reshoots and stuff like that for certain reasons, but I don't know. It it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I mean, the story has to be there. 
I, I really hope season four is like the Star Trek season four. Like, I hope the quality just shoots up immensely because that's usually where the quality just shoots up immensely in all the other shows. First three seasons, first two or three yeah. seasons kind of rough. And the fourth season, it just becomes immensely better. Although in TNG, season three was really, I mean, I guess this season did get better anyway, but I just really hope it's that giant jump in quality. Um, from the writing standpoint, I, I just I just miss like bigger ideas in Star Trek. I, I, I rewatched uh, the first episode of Deep Space Nine and just like the idea of the prophets is so kind of mind bending. I wish there was more stuff like that in Star Trek. And, and I don't feel like I don't feel like they try to challenge the viewer very much uh, in Discovery uh, with interesting sci fi. Con- I feel like it's all pretty basic and just really easy to consume and. Like, I guess a little bit dumbed down in a way, because I mean, like, when you're trying yeah. to wrap, 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 the the prophets are so far advanced, they don't even understand linear time because they're so far removed from it because they're such an advanced race because they speak and they're trying to understand like it's like the, it's like us trying to understand what ants do and like why they do what they do like it's just it's that huge step down that you're tr- talking between these two different races and that's interesting and it's just fascinating and it just like. It reminds me why Deep Space Nine is such a great show, and I don't know. I just I just don't feel like there's anything lofty like that in in, in Discovery or Picard yet. Well, but, I mean, we got we got you know Carl, you know from um, Guardian of Forever, Guardian Forever. I thought, yeah. but I mean that's a callback, of course. But I, I I enjoyed Carl. I don't I don't have a problem with Carl. I thought it was I, I loved Carl, but I, yeah, I, I just wish we had like a more bigger things. Like I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I wish yeah. I wish Star Trek was heady. Like Discovery and Picard have not been heady enough, and I really, yeah. I really miss that like deep thought. Like, oh wow, it's always it's always threat and response, threat and response. I, I I would like an idea thrown at you, and then you have to really chew on it, you know, for a while. And like you said, the prophets were, you know, um, fourth dimensional, or were they? They were. They were. They, I think they had to be at least fifth dimensional. Okay. Because I mean, yeah. fourth fourth dimension is time. Right. Um, so you have to be able to move. You have to be able to move through time, like we move through space. So you have to be above the fourth dimension to do that. Right. Right. Um, which is that's a great. It's a great concept. And like I said, to chew on that is you know sometimes it's hard to even wrap your brain around it. So yeah, they're they're weird. To, it's it's weird to think about. And like there's nothing been nothing like that in Discovery yet. So I really want some more brain bending stuff in like, my science yeah. fiction. And like I was talking about the mycelium network, there's so much you could get into that, and there's 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 nuances that you could go into that. And you know, yes, they've gone to the mycelium into the mycelium network, and that's where obviously they recovered Culber there. But there's so much more to talk about there too. So I mean, and you know, to me, Star Trek has action, but it's a lot about discovery of new places, new things, new ideas, uh, new ideas. Yeah, so. That's what I want to see a lot too. So that's hopefully we get more of that. So, what do you think, Stuart? I, I totally agree with you. I think the exploration aspect needs to be involved in season four and the episodic feel. And for fuck's sake, stop quadrupling down on the stupid with the turbo lift caverns from hell. Oh my god! God, yes. Hashtag that planet way. turbo lift. Well, the thing is, people it's started people started using that Enterprise episode where they have Daniel's ship from the 29th century. Future yeah, and they show the they drop the Hydra spanner how it's bigger on the inside, and I'm like, well, maybe they did to Discovery. I'm like, well, bullshit, because season one and two we saw the stupid Turbo Lift Cavern, and they would not have had that ten yeah. years before Kirk. 
Yeah, and in Pike's Enterprise as well. So yes. it's on Kirk's Enterprise. Yes. Bullshit. Yeah, absolute bullshit. So, I mean, like, it's not, that's not a correlation at, at all. And we haven't seen inside any of the um, 29th century. And I'm pretty sure they forgot about it because even Federation yeah, headquarters exactly. doesn't seem very big. And there's actual windows to the outside. So you can see from the outside in that it's not a very big building. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and Stuart, you know, you probably know the backstory or, or understand this better than I do. But, um, you know, in past track from uh, going forward from TOS into next gen and forward, they had people working on not just visual canon, but also with, you know, the ships and designing them and doing blueprints and stuff like that correct am i uh, correct they had people working on these things for paramount and for different facets am i correct in assuming that absolutely yeah like the technical manuals done by rick sternbach and michael and denise okuda like they if you look at the cutaways of the ships or the blueprints even that were released for the enterprise d you can see turbo lift shafts because that's what they are (laughs) you know Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they had the, they had the team, the cohesive team working behind the scenes to make sure things made sense. Sometimes they were a little hit and miss, but overall, a good ninety percent of the time, things made sense. You know, I mean, yeah. we saw Jean Luc sing Ferris Janka with a bunch of kids in a turbo lift shaft. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, because yeah, if he, if they had, if they had lost power in Discovery's turbo lift, if they were moving along, they would just fall for like thirty minutes and die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Right. It's, uh, it, it's it yeah, it's it's just it's there's no logic towards that that's that's what's bothering me about star trek it's uh, the new star trek discovery and picard they're they're moving more into the realm of science fantasy and more out yes. of the realm of science fiction they're they're turning themselves into star wars instead of staying with what star trek is it's like night and yep. day between the Mandalorian and Star Trek, where the Mandalorian just doubles down on what Star Trek has always been, and then Discovery and Picard are trying to reinvent the wheel, which is not something you yeah. should do. You should lean in hard nope. to what you what you are. I don't know. Yep. I, I just don't understand. Like I, the design philosophy between the Mandalorian and, and Picard are just baffling, and, and Discovery just bafflingly different. And I just yeah, because really like wish... I, I've said before that the great thing about the Mandalorian is that they don't even have to explain anything. They just put a certain alien or a symbol or a, a certain type of blaster or spaceship. People know what it is. I mean, they, they're like, oh, I know what that is. I know what that is. And there's a whole backstory that you don't even have to get into. They just just by showing it. And that's and amazingly genius... enough. Yeah. The, the X-Wings, the interior of the X-Wing looks exactly like it did in 1977. You know why? Because it's a period piece. Of course it does. Don't right. change what, what, you know, don't even, don't get me started on the refit or the Discovery Enterprise. Yeah. yeah, it's a great ship. Should have been in the JJ film, in my opinion. But for Prime, that's just bullshit. They, they did it right in Inamir Darkly. They did it right in Trials and Tribulations. They yep. did it right in Relics, where they showed the bridge on the holodeck. So why the fuck are they fucking it up now? Yeah. Oh, that's a big sticky point with me. Yeah, it's 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 bad, and and uh, like my my theory on that is that all Star Trek beforehand was told through the eye of a um, uh, unreliable narrator, and therefore, <laughs> and because of because of Cisco, because all of Star Trek except for except for Discovery is tied to um, at, at least Next Gen, because Next Gen you've got. Uh, Riker going back into 
basically being a hologram, like Enterprise is all a hologram. And, you know, Riker was also on Deep Space Nine. And Benny was on Deep Space Nine. And then Voyager was on Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Everything connects back to that. And if Benny wrote Star Trek through the lens uh, of the Ooh. 1950s, then uh, all of Star Trek has been told through the eye of an unreliable narrator because Benjamin Sisko goes fucking crazy in the last season of Deep Space Nine. So maybe Benny is also crazy. Therefore, Discovery is not tied to that directly. So it's the first, I guess, not... A re- uh, not unreliable narrator. That's why everything looks different in Discovery. That's that's my head canon around it. That's brilliant. I would love to come on and talk about that on Trek Yards <laughs> with you sometimes. If you if you like that idea, I would love to pitch it to your guys on Trek Yards uh, to your to your listeners. That's a great idea. Because maybe we'll do that. Because I would love to join you guys sometime and talk with you guys, and uh, I, 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 this is I, this idea has been kicking around in my head. I've wanted to do a video on it, but I just, uh, I, I need to expand on that more. But since everything connects to Deep Space Nine, we've got Benny as the crazy, and yeah, I, I, I think, I think everything, every, every Star Trek that's not Discovery and Picard has been told through the unreliable narrator syndrome. So we've got our first clear look at Star Trek, which is why everything looks different now. So that's the basis of my theory and because and because benny benny later becomes a prophet that transcends time and space oh my god all of the universe is going to be changed to look like discovery shit oh no yeah exactly i mean like <laughs> no it, I, i've made it work in canon <laughs> oh my god hey, if, you, if you guys put that video out you could single-handedly probably change star trek universe right there yeah, you know, some oh, yeah. somebody somebody will will hear that idea and they'll just be like, "Well, the Whoa. thing is, our audience is just really small here on Set the Holics. I've mentioned it a couple times, so we just have such a small audience; it's never blown up anywhere. But you guys have a big audience, so I'd love to present it uh, to to, mm-hmm. to um to uh, to you and uh, um, Samuel, and so uh, see what he thinks mm-hmm. about the idea as well. <laughs> He'd be intrigued by that. I think that'd be a fun discussion for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. let me think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, all right, guys. Uh, that's uh, that's a wrap for season three. Um, it it was a fun ride. I did enjoy myself. It just it wasn't uh, as always with new track. It's never exactly everything I wanted, and uh, or and nothing blew me completely away. That's the downside. So I, I agree. Uh, I, I, I'm waiting to be blown away by Star Trek. I, I, I want it to be good and great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we need a we need a Dave Filoni and uh, John Favreau Star Trek show. I think. Well, well, um, what's uh, um, Manny Cotto says he wants to come back and do some more Star Trek. For the love of God, put him on Strange New Worlds or whatever. That would be amazing. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, season four of Enterprise is some of the best Star Trek they did. Manny Cotto blew it out of the water. So I would love him to come work on discovery make it better or have him on strange new worlds from the get-go i would adore that so much yeah, i agree i agree if that, if that does happen strange new world i'm excited about period so yes cool well uh let's wrap it up guys uh Stuart, if people don't know where to find you let us know uh, let our audience know Look us up on YouTube, uh, Trek Yards, all one word. Um, we've been going for six years now. We have 2,000 plus videos. We like doing lives every week. 
usually do like three or four a week. Um, when there's new track on, we do lives pretty much every day. Um, but 23 weeks of new track is over now for a while. So we'll be getting back into TNG, Voyager, DS9 reviews, and just general live chat discussions. Plus, we always release videos um, every Saturday on ships and tech specifically. That's what Trek Yards is all about. So, yeah, look us up on YouTube and also find us on Facebook. We've got some good Facebook groups as well. So yes, lots of places to find Trek yeah, you guys have a fantastic channel and, and a great Fleet Yards Facebook is another group. one, right, for Facebook groups? Yeah, Fleet Yards is our sister show. It's a, all sci-fi ships, essentially. Mm. Is, Trek Yards is obviously Star Trek. Fleet Yards is everything else. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, as for us, you can find us on Facebook as well. Go to our Facebook group, uh, Synthaholics. You can email us at synthaholics at yahoo.com you can hit us up on twitter at synthaholic duo and if this show is something you want to support please go to our patreon patreon forward slash synthaholics uh guys thank you so much for listening and Stuart, thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you so talking, much talking track yeah well thanks for having me again i'm looking forward to coming on here after prodigy prodigy is over to talk about that uh, yeah for magic sure. school bus <laughs> I want to see Janeway with a whip. It's like I killed two Vix. I can. I will not hesitate to kill any of you little. I will fuckers. kill you. <laughs> so you Actually, see her with a whip. Yeah, I can see her with a whip. Mm, me too. Dominatrix. Uh, <laughs> Dominatrix Janeway. You know, I'm sad there was never a Mirror Universe episode where she like cloned Tuvok and Neelix, joined them just to murder them. Oh my god. <laughs> That's great. Like she just murders she she murders a couple a day just to take her rage out. It's like yes. Oh my god. Good substitute uh, for having no coffee, I guess. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> There's no Delta Quadrant coffee. Mm. I can murder Tuvix over and over again though. That soothes my soul just a little bit. Oh boy. Alright guys, with that, <laughs> live long and prosper. <laughs> One and all. See you later, guys. Well, McCoy, my boy, come mix me a drink. Before the night's over, I'll puke in the sink. And we'll cry till we laugh. And we'll both shit our pants. You're the best drinking friend I ever had. Less stinky of a day. Yes, less stinky. Stinky is uh, anti-good. Yeah. All right. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, you sound better now. You just sounded a little bit further away the first time. Yeah, well. I rectified the situation. You're up up close and personal sounding now. It's just good. Hey, What's listen, up, Stuart? better. Huh? Not much. What are you up to? Uh, I'm getting over a uh, tooth infection, so yay for me. Yeah, I heard about that, man. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, it sucks. It's like... <laughs> Monday, I was like in a little bit of pain, and then I made an appointment with the dentist. And then the next morning, I woke up and my mouth looked like a golf ball was inside of it. So, happened that quickly. So, whatever. yeah, that sucks. I, I hope people didn't think oh, that we left already before the episode three hundred. <laughs> All right. No, I just, uh, I just, I in you know, then they had it. It was there was an abscess, so they had to drain it. And mm-hmm. It sucked, so I. There's no way that they did that on Wednesday afternoon, so I wasn't really up for chatting. Oh yeah, I mean, of course, I mean mouth stuff—that's like the worst. Oh god, yeah. Yeah. Like tooth stuff. 
And they say, like, you know, like, when they look at old graves of, like, you know, mummies and stuff like that, like, most of them died of some kind of tooth decay or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 